The Start On Demand. On demand. No end in sight for the protests happening across Canada. The latest for Manitoba? Blockade at the border. Bedroom community growth. The census stats released on Wednesday show that Manitoba has three of the fastest growing areas in Canada. We visited with one of them, Nipawa, Loren McNabb's favorite place, seeing as she grew up next door in Minnedosa. And a UK man is being lambasted for wearing a t-shirt and jeans to his own wedding. So we had some fun talking about times we were dressed inappropriately. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, February 10th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. And we want to start, Greg, with an interesting tweet that dug up something kind of fun. <laughs> that, that's, that was my reaction. I laughed when you shared this well, with us this morning. Well, former Winnipeg Blue Bomber John Rush is a, 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 twi- a tweeting machine on his own. He has quite the extensive number of followers. He is not shy to speak his mind on Twitter by any stretch of the imagination, but he sent this out about 10 o'clock last night, 10.17 to be exact, and he tagged it this way. It's a quote tweet, as they say. Winnipeg is beyond parody at this point, as he quote tweeted or retweeted something that the Winnipeg police created uh, back this uh, past summer. We all appreciate nice vehicles. I think we can all agree there's certain vehicles on our roadways that emit more noise than others. Regardless of what type of vehicle you're driving, every driver makes a decision on how they drive that vehicle. The more aggressive you drive that vehicle, the greater amount of noise you're creating. The sound of a single vehicle can actually be heard within a five block radius. Think about how many residences are impacted, let alone multiple vehicles at the same time. This summer, we're asking motorists to be mindful of their surroundings and be respectful of the community at large. Well, so, lots of people asking in the last several days, Loren, um, are we not uh, seeing uh, several noise bylaws at the very least being broken down at the legislature in conjunction with this protest? And then this video surfaces from just this past August. And well, sometimes you, all you can do is laugh. I guess you could laugh, but if you're living down there like Brett is, or if you're if you're in that area and you hear the different noises, or you're you're concerned about things, it might not be too funny to you. And I know things have shifted a bit with the, the noise that's being made. I think there was a train horn over the past couple of days, Brett, and then it sounded like it died down a little bit yesterday, where they weren't doing it as often. But the bottom line is, it remains. The horns are still sounding, whether it's you know on the top of the clock, the bottom of the clock, in between certain hours. Maybe it's not in the middle of the night, but you know the, the noise is still being made. And in our next segment, we're going to hear a bit more about this special council meeting that's been called today. The mayor has gathered the troops, so to speak. The councillors will meet at nine thirty to talk about this protest, about what they share their thoughts on it. And there's some questions about you know it sounds like they're trying to insert themselves in the situation by saying like we need, we want more to be done. But they can't direct that more be done. And then on the other hand, I'm going to play some audio from Sherry Rollins because Richard Cloutier asked her yesterday, well, you also have bylaw officers. Can they step in and do anything? And it doesn't sound like anyone really knows where to go with this and whether the special counsel meeting will even yield any results. I think the answer is no. It's more just about saying, we don't like this. Let's talk about it. So there'll be a lot more discussion on this throughout the day. Brett, I'm, I'm hoping you had a better sleep last night, though. I did, yeah. I mean, the, the, and the train horn... Uh I think they've just added tra- more train horns because the first sound that I heard from this was 
last Friday at 2.30 a.m., right after I woke up, they were already blowing a train horn. I could hear, I heard a train horn and thought, that's weird. And then I heard it again a few minutes later and then a few minutes after that. So it was almost like they were testing it. And I went down there Friday evening. I just wanted to take a closer look to see what was going on. And uh, I could hear that train horn blasting. But I think they've added maybe another one. I don't know if they've got two or three in there. I don't know. But uh, it, it has been, it was incessant Tuesday night seemed to be the loudest yet that I had heard of their their noise. But yesterday, I woke up from a nap, I don't know, 4.15, and it was quiet. And I thought, what's going on here? And then at 5 o'clock, they blew the horns for a couple of minutes, and then they stopped. And then again at 6 o'clock, they blew the horns, and then they stopped. And it was like it was like a, like a church bell or a cuckoo clock or something. Just they, they blew their horns for a couple of minutes, an hour, and that was it. So I guess, and I mentioned it to you, I thought, I don't know what's happening here, but they're, they're, they're not going constantly. I guess they came to some sort of a, an agreement, a detente, as it were, that they would only launch their horns for a couple of minutes, an hour. And then they stopped at 9, nine o'clock was the last time, and that was it. So, yeah, it was a much more peaceful evening yesterday, Loren. That's good to hear. I, who knows where things are going to go today, of course. We've been watching protests right across the country. We are getting some texts, Greg, to our line right now. We have had a couple come in now this morning from people who are trying to cross at the border at Emerson. It sounds like there might be something going on down there that we're looking to get more information on, that perhaps there might be some blocking of the traffic at the Emerson uh, Pemina area. Yeah, I've got text messages from uh, individuals on either side of the border. One truck driver who is now uh, camped out at one of the gas stations in Pembina, North Dakota, said that he'd been listening to CJOB uh, since St. Cloud, Minnesota last night, got, spent the night in Grand Forks, got to the border this morning, and it's nothing but a lineup. He says other trucks have done exactly the same thing, pulled over and they're at the gas station in Pembina. And then just in the last couple of moments, a text message from this side of the border saying that the, uh, well, I'll read it exactly. Morning, Jerome here, FYI, Highway 75, blocked in both directions at the Emerson border by protesters. So we're working to get details on that. Two reports is uh, enough for us to, well, the first one was enough for us to start making some phone calls and digging into what the actual situation is here, but it doesn't sound good based on what we're hearing so far. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, a special meeting of city council has been called for this morning with the mayor and council meeting to share their thoughts on the protest outside the Manitoba Legislative Building in downtown Winnipeg. Sherry Rollins is the city councillor for the Fort Rouge East Fort Gary and says she's received many complaints. I think people expect in Winnipeg that, uh, that we have laws on the books and they expect them to be enforced. Uh, if if not, there better be a good explanation. And I'm not saying, like I said, we should micromanage the police, but people uh, have been loud and clear uh, on their expectations. So the organizers of the protest uh, have said that they are limiting their noise, that they're only honking their horns between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. Brett, you mentioned just a few minutes ago, it seems like they might be doing it just at the top of the hour for a couple minutes at a time. And so, you know, I guess there's adjustments been that's been made there, but they're still there. They're still making that noise. There's still those questions and concerns. And so they're, they're holding this special meeting today. I'm not quite clear what's going to come out of it. You know, city councillors will have a chance to air their frustrations sounds like CAO, the Chief Administrative Officer, Michael Jack, will be there so they could ask him questions as well and try to get from information about maybe what more could be done. It could maybe lead to a vote that would present that united front that they're all sort of saying, like, let's do more here. But I, it feels like at this stage, it's largely symbolic that it's not going to do anything more than just say, we're not happy or the bulk of us aren't happy. Uh, you know, the police have laws to enforce what's happening down there. There was that police board meeting yesterday to say, where the police said behind closed doors, you know, we're dealing with this. There are traffic laws, there are noise bylaws being broken. And so yesterday, Richard Cloutier also asked Sherry Rollins, is there nothing more that the city can do with its own bylaw officers, not just police? Well, we're certainly going into a, an emergency meeting. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really reflecting on the Constitution in Canada, including 
the information that has been brought about that rights are subject to reasonable limits. And I think that that needs to be explored. Municipal bylaws are there, Richard. You have noise bylaws at your disposal. Uh, Can you not order municipal bylaw enforcement there to do this? Or is this being all expected to be done by the Winnipeg Police Service? Uh, it is expected uh, there, that that's an important distinction because we do not direct police, but we do expect them to enforce. So this is clearly a, a little bit of a disconnect between the attitude and the approach of council and the feeling of a majority, as you mentioned, Lorena, majority, not all councillors are on this page, dare I might say. And uh, so this meeting does feel as though it's symbolic. I saw one commentator on Twitter uh, overnight. Uh, I read it this morning, suggest, you know, this is the equivalent uh, uh, of city councillors saying, we expect taxpayers to pay their taxes this year. Uh, obviously with a little bit stronger language attached, but there, there really is no power of city hall to, to force the police to do anything in this respect, in this situation. No, they, they can't. I mean, the police have to be able to operate as a separate unit, right, and do their own thing. And so we have to have, I guess, faith that they will do something. But these are questions that are being asked right across the country right now about what will police do? What can they do? You know, we watched the situation in Alberta at the border crossing at the Ambassador Bridge. It was closed down again last night between Windsor and Detroit with trucks there. We're getting reports this morning of trucks at the Emerson, North Dakota crossing. And we already had one listener saying, I've called our RCMP or will the RCMP do anything? And then this, this is the question that's being asked. Uh, it's been answered by law enforcement officials that they're working with protesters, but so far the protesters stay. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, in recent weeks, we've been sometimes caught off guard by the weather in the morning, which has made for some rather hairy drives. And uh, this morning, uh, we were alerted by our listeners on our text line, Greg, of a problematic situation at the border. Yes, a a gentleman who drives truck, uh, making his way from Minnesota, and then uh, up north uh, through the Pembina Emerson border crossing was surprised to get to the border very early this morning to be met by basically a string of taillights and running trucks that cannot get through the border. So we did some back and forth. He tells me there are several trucks that have turned around. They are parked at one of the gas stations in Pembina. There is a lineup. Trucks are not making their way through on either side of the border based on a listener sharing with us information from Highway 75, Loren. Yeah, we've got one listener saying that the lineup isn't too bad. They're in it right now. There's about 15 to 20 trucks backed up, but they got going early in the morning to try to get ahead of any possible protests. It sounds like there was word of this going around last night and into this morning. And so as the day progresses, that lineup might grow. I'm not sure how many vehicles or people are blocking the crossing. That's something we haven't figured out yet, but we do know there's a lineup at the border in both directions uh, because of what appears to be a protest there. Also, the highways... We're getting lots of reports of visibility issues due to snow and blowing snow. So uh, just a heads up for that. If you're heading out to the highways, could be a uh, scary drive this morning. So let us know what you're seeing when it is safe for you to do so. 204-780-6868. Canada's population almost hit 37 million last year as it grew at the fastest rate among G7 nations. The latest census data puts the nation's growth at 5.2% between 2016 and 2021. 1.8 million more people are calling Canada home, with four and five being immigrants. Manitoba's population grew by 5% in that time, now at over 1,340,000. It wasn't that long ago, Brett Loren, that Manitoba was losing people at an alarming rate. Well... Over 44,000 more people are calling Winnipeg home than in 2016, bringing the population to nearly three quarters of a million. If you include the city's metropolitan area, the population is over 830,000. Yeah, and that metropolitan area is really growing. The numbers show that there are many smaller Manitoba communities that are growing at a rate that they've never really had before. There's three rural municipalities, and two of them are bedroom communities, making the cut for Canada's top 25 fastest growing municipalities. And as Global's Marty Blunt reports, it's actually one area the pandemic has perhaps helped. 
It's a quiet southern Manitoba community, but in the town of Neverville, business is booming. We are predicting that by 2030, we are going to be moving to 9 to 10,000 people, which is a prime candidate to be Manitoba's next city. And they're well on their way. According to new census data, Neverville grew by 29% between 2016 and 2021, making it the fifth fastest growing Canadian municipality. Councillor Nathan Duick credits that to growing business and expanding services. Once we have all these pieces in town, the people come. And it's being noticed by the business owners in town as well. It, it kind of feels like every couple days you're hearing um, some exciting news about new businesses coming. Amanda Weens says business has picked up in her furniture store and the pandemic, as well as Neverville's proximity to Winnipeg, are playing a role. You get a little more space, a little bit of a bigger lot, and if you're going to be working from home anyways, it's nice to to kind of upsize a little bit and get that office space and get that yard for your kids to play in. But Neverville isn't the only Manitoba community seeing growth. West St. Paul and Nipawa also in the top 15 fastest growing Canadian municipalities, increasing just over 24 and 23 percent respectively. During the pandemic, um, we've had more people move into West St. Paul uh, than ever before. West St. Paul's mayor says new schools, recreation and services are all selling features and they're anticipating the community will keep expanding. When the next census is done, I anticipate that uh, West St. Paul may be number one in Canada. We are anticipating over 50% growth uh, within the next census period. Communities that continue to flourish as priorities and perspectives shift during pandemic times. Marnie Blunt, Global News. So you wonder there in terms of that shift, you know, if you're someone who's made a move outside the city in the last two years and it's, it's the pandemic played a role, will you be able to continue to work from home? Does that decision make sense? Do lower taxes draw people in outside the city? I'm not sure they're that much lower outside the city than in. There's the commute that has to be made, but maybe that's manageable for some, but you're certainly hearing a lot more people making this decision, Greg, than in years past. We have been tempted several times to make the move to Oak Bank in particular. I've had that conversation with the two of you over the past several years. We have friends that are out there that absolutely love it. They love the bigger yard. Uh, they love the smaller community. They're enjoying it very much. But that commute for me in the middle of the night when we traditionally come into work was not something I was prepared to do. Certainly in the, in the winter time, uh, you know, first, first on the highway, maybe uh, breaking trail, as they say, uh, not really anything that I'm interested in doing on a regular basis. And now when you see gasoline uh, heading and really sitting at a, a buck 50, most places per liter, uh, that economic decision with regard to transportation costs has to be weighed in as well. But there are others who just absolutely love being outside of the city. And it has those that live in the city, some of us anyway, asking, you know, um, do we need tolls around the city of Winnipeg? That's a conversation that's been around for a long, long time as uh, places like Headingley seceded from the city of Winnipeg. You look at Stonewall, West St. Paul, East St. Paul. I just mentioned Oak Bank, Niverville, LaSalle. You've got all these bedroom communities where a lot of people work in the city of Winnipeg, come here for play, come here for commerce. Is it time for Winnipeg to catch up with other municipalities and figure out a way to uh, to tax those people that use city infrastructure? I'm not saying I'm in favor of it. I'm suggesting there are lots of people asking about its possibility and its uh, uh, practicality, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. I'm giving that a hard no. <laughs> As someone who lives outside the city, but you know, I've, we've definitely talked about it before. I know when we worked with, with Global, when I worked with Global TV, we were doing stories on the growth in different communities like Oak Bluff. And so, you know, you're, you're right on the cusp there. You are coming in, you're using the infrastructure, but so many people, and I'm one of them outside the city that comes in and I spend my dollars in Winnipeg still. I spend them in my community, but I also spend them in Winnipeg. And so they're still getting a, there's still a benefit there to people coming in, shopping, eating, going to Jets games, going to the ballet or what have you. I don't know how you would do that, how it, what it would look like, how it would work. There are examples of toll roads throughout North America, I guess that people are paying for to get in and out of different areas. And so it's not like it's a crazy idea, but no, go away.
Question of the day at CJOB.com <laughs> for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace 204 832 Since it's 2021, says Canada continues to become a more urban country than a rural one. If you had the choice, where would you like to live? 42% say just outside the city. 29% say the middle of nowhere. <laughs> which kind of sounds appealing right about now. Uh, nice log cabin in the wind, middle of winter, just on a river. That's what I'm picturing, maybe surrounded by mountains. The suburbs, 19%, and uh, 10% say downtown. You can cast your vote, cjob.com. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, here's the headline at newyorkpost.com. Slob groom. Ripped for wearing T-shirt and faded jeans to his wedding. Uh, this is in the UK. Guy shows up. To be fair, it's it, apparently it's a designer T-shirt, something called Palm Angels, and they go for a few hundred bucks and sell at upscale stores. But he wears a T-shirt, a black T-shirt and jeans to his wedding. His bride is wearing a lovely dress. She looks like a princess, and he's in a T-shirt and jeans. What a doofus. Um, so that has us wondering, have you ever shown up somewhere where you were dressed inappropriately? Maybe you were underdressed, didn't realize what kind of occasion you're walking into, or maybe you were overdressed. 204-780-6868 for a chance to win tickets for the Winnipeg Renovation Show. Loren, what you got? No, I'm sorry, I just looked at this picture for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> he's wearing like this black shirt with like angels written on the back and like really hey 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 fitted. that's a three hundred dollar to four hundred dollar <laughs> t-shirt he's wearing just, Loren. they're in like Why a really nice church it's not even like an outdoor wedding or something they're not a <laughs> i'm sorry i just looked at this first time. <laughs> it's ridiculous so let's go around the horn here uh mr portress why don't we start with you well you know let's let's you know, chubby cheek to wide-eyed Cameron Poitras, uh, 19 years old, goes to his first council meeting looking to, you know, oh, this is exciting. He's a young, uh, you know, broadcaster. He's going to go cover a council meeting in a in a small town. So I, I thought, well, how I probably should dress this as a council meeting. This is a formal affair. I should probably wear a suit and a tie. Well, I go and sit down in the in the media section, and uh, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and I got my tie on, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the counselors start walking in, and they're wearing shorts and flip flops, and uh, <laughs> one of them's wearing a tank top, and I was like, all right, well, I guess this is what I'm getting myself into. I guess I look still look professional, but I, I, I felt foolish. I'm like, oh my god, I, I totally misread the room, and now I'm stuck sweaty in this suit while everyone else is <laughs> just like dressed for the beach. So. Uh, that was, I, I felt, flops. I felt ridiculous. It was crazy. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> uh, Jeff Braun. I've been underdressed for the last two years and I've enjoyed it immensely. <laughs> I, I, I've put on, I'll put on blue jeans. I'll go as, as high as blue jeans for Thanksgiving and Christmas or a, a church event or something like that. But otherwise, it's just been sweats and tracks, track pants for two years. And, and before all the pandemic began, like I would have never thought of wearing sweatpants into the grocery store even but now it's like why would i even put on blue jeans to go to the grocery store it's just the grocery store so that's been a big change and i'm digging it so far 14 what Uh, about you when i was in junior high i once got told that i had to switch my uh, t-shirt because it had a corona on it had a beer apparently i'm not allowed to wear that when you're in like grade eight but uh, i remember this shirt it said uh good times great rides and then my first uh, week working here, I overdressed, apparently. I used to wear uh, dress shirt, dress pants, and uh, everyone's like, why are you dressed up so nicely? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, and now, so now I'm sitting here in a hoodie and T-shirt, yeah. jeans. Yeah, that's, that's my <laughs> uniform every day, just a hoodie and, a, and jeans, and that's it. Some, run, some beat up old runners, which I need to replace. Uh, Greg, what about you? So uh, mine is sort of similar to Campoitris, but I'm on the flip side of it. Um, I got very excited when I got my first media pass for uh, NHL Jets games. And so first opportunity comes around to to cover a game for CJOB, to go in the dressing room and to get all the interviews and everything. And so I go out and I buy a couple sports jackets, some nice shirts, and a brand new pair of jeans. And um, so I get gussied up and go to the rink and I get on the elevator with none other than Mark Chipman, chairman, CEO, owner of the Winnipeg Jets. 
the next day, a memo goes out about appropriate dress in the press box at at MTS Center at the time. Jeans are not allowed oh, no. in the press area. I did not know. I'd only been in the press area at Winnipeg Blue Bomber Games where you see all sorts of different uh, dress codes. Well, there is no dress code, let's be honest. Uh, so I was very embarrassed. I was stressed out beyond belief. Kelly Moore walked me off the ledge because I really never, ever wanted to go back again after that. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Greg is the source of the memo. I'm sure they were nice <laughs> yes. jeans, though. I'm sure they were, too. I wish there had been a picture with you attached to that memo. Not, nothing like like the, the do's and don'ts of the press box, and that it's a photo horrified. of Greg and the I'm don't. Like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> It'd be like, uh, you know, in The Simpsons, you, to pull a Homer, well, they, they can call that to pull a Mackling, to show up yep. uh, underdressed. Uh, but yeah, you I I've seen you in your your sport coats and jeans. You always look good, so don't worry about that. Uh, Loren, what about you? I, I'm thinking more along Bronze line about the idea of how I never like I mean, and I would never go anywhere in sweatpants or exercise pants unless I was literally going to the gym or, which was rare. <laughs> and now I'm sitting here like I can't even tell you the things that I put on these days for work and the, where where I'll go with them, and you know the mask covers up your face and all the rest. And I'm wondering if we'll ever get back to normal. Where I've got a whole closet full of clothes I haven't touched in two years, like dress shoes and dresses that have dust on them and blazers. And, and I mean dust. Yeah. Like they just they, they, It's sitting in the closet where I, there's just no point to it right now. And the pants I have right now are covered in paint. They were my paint pants from two weeks ago. And I'm wearing them like, like I'm not painting today. This is how low it's gotten for me. And I never used to be like this. So I think it's changed everything. And I wonder, I mean, I can't get away with this. When we get back to work, this is ridiculous. Well, it sounds like we might all need to renovate our wardrobes when we get out of this. And look at this. We've got a four-pack of tickets for the Winnipeg Renovation Show coming up February 18th to the 20th at the Convention Centre. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Small town salute coming up after 7.37. We will visit one of those communities in Manitoba where business is booming, according to the census. We'll head to Nipawa. But right now we want to get right into this here because a special meeting of city council takes place today to address concerns about the demonstration at the Manitoba Legislative Building supporting the so-called Freedom Convoy in Ottawa. Mayor Brian Bowman says Winnipeggers have had enough of the ongoing protest, Greg. Yeah, meanwhile, Brett, the group organizing the anti mandate protest at the Manitoba legislature has issued a letter calling for a meeting with Premier Heather Stephenson. The group is also looking for a number of changes to current provincial uh, and federal orders. The group argues that it's time we learn to live with COVID-19 and end mandates by establishing a clear path forward with set calendar dates. Spokesperson for the Premier didn't say whether Stephenson would meet with organizers following their request to speak, Loren. So CC'd on that letter is, of course, the leader of the opposition, opposition, Wab Canoe, who joins us now. Good morning, Wab. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me back. Well, thanks for taking the time. We heard some clips in the newsroom with Jeff about what you said could be done in terms of enforcement, and you suggested maybe, you know, bylaw officers could go in. Does that make sense, given police aren't going in to enforce things right now? We'd really send bylaw officers in, Wab? Yeah, you know, I think the, the overall message I want to share is that Premier Heather Stephenson needs to send a clear message that it's time to, to wrap up the convoy and that the people who are participating should go home. And, of course, along the way, it would be great if they stopped in to get vaccinated. But, uh, you know, I just want to underline that the province has been pretty silent on this issue, but they do have tools at their disposal. In addition to bylaw officers, you got the the motor vehicle branch, you know, could people go in and invest in, uh, inspect the vehicles and see if there's something that uh, needs to be addressed? Because as we listen to people who work downtown, people who live downtown, there's a lot of concerns around safety. And uh, I think province-wide, there's a lot of people questioning, you know, why is this thing being allowed to be so disruptive and to, to threaten the safety and security of so many people? And... Uh, you know, I think it'd be good for the premier to come out also and just say that public health decisions are going to be made by public health experts and not by the convoy. Well, plenty of com- comparisons being made right now about how authorities, police across the country are handling these protests versus 
other protests in the past. And your colleague and fellow MLA, Nahani Fontaine, posted this on Twitter yesterday. I'm just going to read it straight up. Next time folks want to complain about an Indigenous round dance on the corner of Portage and Main for MMIWG2S or residential school survivors, remember we've never stayed for days on end or drummed or honked our horns at all hours of the day and night, ever. What's your reaction to that point of view? Well, I think people are frustrated. I think people are frustrated uh, with the convoy. You know, the convoy is being allowed to spread a lot of misinformation. Uh, in addition to being very disruptive uh, to the lives of people who work and live downtown. Um, even in my area, like I represent Osborne Village and Fort Rouge area, and I had a transit bus driver reach out to me and say, listen, I got to wake up at 3.30 in the morning. Is it safe for my sleep to be disrupted uh, by this thing? So we've really seen uh, a lot of silence from the provincial government. I know the, the city is is having their debates they're at least talking about the issue but it i think it's what very about that comparison though Bob? what about that comparison nahani made yesterday well when i think about uh, the frustration that people feel like i think people are taking it in many different directions for me the uh, double standard that i see is with the convoy itself trying to use the words like freedom and yet they're attacking people in the media to me the freedom of the press is one of the most fundamental freedoms that we have in our society it's what allows the voting public to understand what's going on it's what allows our powerful folks in society to be held to account and yet we've seen and heard from many reporters many video journalists camera people that they're getting shouted at that they're getting attacked so the double standards that i see the concerns and frustration it continues to mount and really the provincial government has the ability to step in they can take action, but more than anything, the premier also has a megaphone, and the premier should use that megaphone. You know whether you agree uh, with everything the premier says or not. In this instance, I think if the premier were to say it's time to wrap up the convoy, folks would listen. Now we have some listeners who have pointed to protesters who have encamped in Memorial Park or the ones who have been on the legislative grounds for, for months now. If the, the truck protests, you know, if we want the truck protests to go away, um, why sh- should the ones who are still camped on the actual grounds, why should they be allowed to stay? Well, I guess it's, a, it's an interesting point, but it's not an apples to apples comparison, is it? You know, the folks who have camped out at the legislature at various times have not harassed people on the street in Winnipeg. They haven't disrupted the lives of people who live and work downtown to the extent that we're seeing now. So if that's another way to resolve this thing, if the folks from the convoy wanted to clear out the trucks and set up camp in Memorial and not harass people and not uh, tolerate symbols of hate uh, and uh, incidents of hate speech in their area, then I think that would be fine, actually. But it's the fact that you're seeing major routes in our downtown disrupted you're seeing the safety of people who live in downtown winnipeg threatened the fact that uh you know people's lives are being disrupted that's what really sets this apart and that's what requires the the province to step in and take action you had reference wob and we're speaking to ndp leader wob canoe uh, the the idea that there's you know it's, it's hard it's not apples to apples that we're comparing here that said you know that there are all sorts of comparisons being made between this and other protests and brett just pointed out those who are encamped in memorial park just this mm-hmm. week manitoba justice decided no charges were going to be laid in the toppling of the statue of queen victoria on the grounds of the legislature this past summer so i'm curious if you see that as any sort of permission for just continued demonstrations like the one we're seeing right now does this are precedents being set here well, I think the concerning precedent that I look at is that when you look at how Scott Moe and Jason Kenney have basically thrown in the towel in the fight against COVID, I am concerned that folks supporting the, the so-called convoy are being emboldened by those sorts of actions. And I think that's why it's really important that the provincial government uh, here in Manitoba step up and say, well, we're going to go in a different direction and we're going to ensure that public health decisions are going to be made around what's in the best interest of the safety of the people of Manitoba and are not going to be made catering to the convoy. And I think if that's a clear message, a hard line in the sand, if you will, then it stands to reason that another step that should be taken at the same time is 
And since we're not going to be catering to the convoy and the fact that they are harassing people on the street, that they are um, hosting images and, uh, and, and hate speech, things that are very concerning, that there's a lot of concern around safety downtown, that it is time to wrap up the convoy. NDP leader Wab Canoe joining us live on 680 CJOB. Wab, thank you very much for the time. As always, we appreciate hey, it, thanks sir. thanks for having me. Small town salute, as you may have heard by now. Three Manitoba communities are among the fastest growing municipalities in the country, according to census data from Statistics Canada. So the town of Niverville was the fifth fastest growing municipality in the country. Its population grew by 29% from 2016 to 2021. It was also the fastest growing out of all the prairie provinces. And then also on the list, West St. Paul, ranking 10th, with growth of 24.5% in this last census period. And Nipua ranked in 13th, number 13 spot, growing by 23.3%. So for a province which has had in the past a battle with growing population and creating opportunity, this is welcome news. And Loren, you mentioned Nipua, you didn't even choke on it. Uh, give us a quick geography lesson. Where is Nipua? Uh, as a born and raised Minidosa gal, you pass through Mi- Nipua to get to Minidosa. You can stop there if you feel like it. I, some people say it's nice, but you might want to just carry right on. You go two hours west down Highway Number 1, west of Winnipeg. Then you turn off uh, Highway 16 just uh, after you pass through Portage. So it's a two-and-a-half-hour trip. Take Highway 16 to Nipua. Some say through Nipua. It's up to you. It's up to you. And I'm joking. To our next guest. I hope he knows I'm joking. <laughs> We are headed to Nipawa. We say good morning to the mayor of Nipawa, Blake McCutcheon. How did you feel about Loren's uh, geographic uh, description of your location, mayor? Well, uh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, actually, I was uh, totally expecting it because I talked to you guys three years ago and we seem to have the same <laughs> conversation. So, no, there's not. I'm just, I'm just better prepared for it today. <laughs> I haven't grown up at all since then, Mr. Mayor. So I apologize for that. Oh, I know. I'm just, yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> Well, it's great to have you back on the program. We appreciate your sense of humor and and you playing along with us. I feel as though we have had this discussion in the past about your community. The latest census accounts for growth between 2016 and 2021. Nipawa didn't just start growing five years ago, did it, Mayor? This has been a steady roll for some time. No, that's absolutely correct. I mean, this is a big number that we saw yesterday, but I mean, five years, uh, 10 years ago and 16, I mean, we had a 27% increase. So, I mean, we were actually expecting to see this increase, probably around 25%. I think it would have been there if the pandemic hadn't set in. I mean, we're different, though. Like, we're, we're different than, uh, than West St. Paul or Niverville. Like, I mean, we're, we're being driven by, by immigration. We're being driven by High Life, which is our pork processing plant out here that has increased in the last five years from 1,200 employees to 1,700 employees. So that's a big part of why we're heading in the direction we're heading in. Does your proximity to Brandon help at all with that, Mr. Mayor? Look, I'm curious because you're, what, 45 minutes from Brandon, which is yeah, a big center no, for shopping as well. No, and No, that's true. No, that's, no, I don't think so. I mean, um, no, I think we, are, we, are, we have become a standalone community. And, I mean, Highlight has become a big part of that. But, I mean, now the spill-off's occurring. I mean, as you know, we, we had the announcement of a new $127 million hospital here on December the 10th mm-hmm. when the Premier and the Minister of Health came out. So, I mean, that was great news. And, uh, I mean, uh, uh, the retail stores are starting to engage now. I mean, uh, Gladstone Co-op starting a multi-million dollar home center renovation. Home Hardware actually is just announcing today. Michelle Gerard, the owner there, is announcing today a brand new $5 million building. So that's exciting. Uh, we have a new Best Western starting here in the spring, a new 65 suite Best Western. So, yeah, no, we're on a roll. And, it's, uh, it, it, you know, we have challenges, but also it gives us great opportunities. You mentioned challenges. What kind of challenges or are there challenges in meeting the expectations of new residents? That is our biggest challenge. You're absolutely correct. I mean, again, that's where we're different from other municipalities, I believe, that are growing. Most people, when they move to a municipality, they have a place they're going to live in. They have a house that they've targeted or an apartment. Here, we have immigration coming, and I mean, the numbers are big, and they're coming for the job, and when they show up, they say, where am I going to live? So that's a big difference. So we've been working hard over the last five to ten years to try to to try to create uh, the, the you know uh, enough accommodation for them and the, the atmosphere to that, that developers will want to come and build for us. 
Mayor, I know when I owned my building in Minnedosa, I had three rental suites there. And and I, over the years, had lots of folks that were doing the commute from Nipawa to Minnedosa or, you know, or live in Minnedosa and come to Nipawa for work. Our places, you mentioned Gladstone, is Minnedosa and some of the other communities that surround Nipawa, are they benefiting from your success economically, population-wise? Absolutely. Yeah, no, uh, Gladstone, if you look in the statistics of the new uh, that it just came out, Gladstone's up three or four percent. And, and that Minnedosa town that you guys like so much, it's up 11 percent. So, yeah. so that's a, that's a big deal. I mean, you know, so that, that spillover has really created and I mean, it spreads out into the, to the municipalities too, the small towns. But yeah, that is the biggest challenge we have is accommodation for the for the employees of High Life. Well, Nipo Amir, Blake McCutcheon, we thank you very much for joining us this morning. I visited Nipo for the very first time uh, last summer and uh, thought it was wonderful. And my friends and I had a great time. So thank you for your hospitality. No, and thanks for inviting me on. Take Have a good day, guys. And uh, indeed, Nipawa, just as I got to mention the golf, Nipawa has a spectacular golf course. I loved it. I loved the golf course in Minnedosa. It's a wonderful part of Manitoba, uh, both Nipawa and Loren, Minnedosa as well. <laughs> I know. And actually, Nipawa is a really beautiful community. It's got some nice rolling hills, and the campground there is also pretty with the river going through the Lions River Bend campground. So it's a nice, it's a nice town. They're all beautiful you know- spots. When I was a kid, they had the welcome to Nipawa sign as you came from the east towards the west, and it said Nipawa, 996,000 short of a million. <laughs> they took that down a few years ago. They must have known what was coming. They wouldn't be able to, like, because that sign didn't change forever. They must have realized that big change was coming, and they dismantled that sign, but it was one of my favorite welcome to signs anywhere on the prairies. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, a reminder, we have tickets to give away for the Winnipeg Renovation Show at the RBC Convention Centre, February 18th to the 20th. We've got a four-pack of tickets, and we're talking about the fact that in the UK, guy shows up to his wedding, his bride is in a beautiful dress, she looks like a princess, he shows up in a t-shirt and jeans, and yes, it was a designer t-shirt that costs upwards of 400 bucks or whatever, but come on. So, the question is... Tell us about a time that you were dressed inappropriately for something. Overdressed? Underdressed? Jill says, I used to work at a call center in Winnipeg for long-distance plans for AT&T. We had to wear a suit and tie, which made absolutely no sense. I mean, it's a call center. You're in a booth all by yourself. Like, who cares? The funny thing about this, though, Jill, and I hope you're listening right now, is because uh, I said to her, was that call center at the Air Canada building on <laughs> Portage? And she says it sure was. So it's possible Jill and I worked together because I worked oh. in that call center in, in that AT&T campaign mm-hmm. for all of one month before they punted me because I was a horrible salesperson. So <laughs> That's hard That's hard work, man. The, those call centers that, I mean, that the cold calling people don't want to hear it. And that's, did you have to wear a suit based on her saying that she had to be dressed up? So I, did, did I, you? I didn't have to wear a full suit, but I de- it was definitely a shirt and tie operation, which I, I hated it too. I thought what, cause we all, you know, it was all, we were all in our like early twenties. So it was all these like cheap dress. Like we all looked like, looked like, you know, kids wearing their dad's dress clothes or something. Yeah. None of them were none of us looked nice. Which international like clothier? You went for the twenty nine ninety nine suit, and I, I I worked there too. Actually, yeah. oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah I worked. I worked at uh, Coliseum at Polo Park, which was right. uh, sort of a like one of their other stores, and and then I eventually worked at International. I bought a purple suit from Coliseum, a purple suit. It was kind of it had some sheen to it. I bought it specifically for a Halloween costume. And it was 150 bucks for this suit, but I ended That's up wearing an expensive Halloween costume, my friend. Yeah, it was. It, I, I was devoted. I was committed to the costume. It was a good costume, but uh, the suit actually was pretty. I kind of liked it. I, I ended up wearing it a few times uh, before I had somebody burnt a cigarette into the back of it and ruined oh, it. Oh, oh! Gee, I do wonder what the future will look like of 
clothes in the workplace because we the pre-pandemic there was all the talk about are things getting too casual or do you need to have more casual Fridays you know and then notes would get sent out about casual Fridays and flip-flops and casual Fridays and mm-hmm. you know we don't need tank tops and it got really relaxed but now with so many people just not around one another it feels like I have lost my sense of what it is to do that business casual thing. Like that definitely doesn't mean my paint pants I have on right now, right? So when no, I head I back to that... work, it'll be it'll be. I'm 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 really uh, curious to see what people will be wearing. You mentioned Casual Fridays. Sorry, Loren, didn't mean to step on you there, but Casual Fridays got out of hand at a couple of different workplaces uh, that I worked at to the point where they got canceled full on because people didn't know the difference between, you know, casual work attire and uh, I'm heading to the bar right after work. <laughs> and so there were some crossover, uh, shall we say, mixed messages when it came to what casual Friday meant. It meant different things to different people. So that got uh, ixnade. And when I read Sean's Sean's <laughs> text message from earlier about going to the Manitoba club and being given a jacket and a tie, Brett, you and I have a restaurant in common in Las Vegas. I think we both like and love the French onion soup at Mon Ami Gabi, right? In the Paris Hotel? Yeah. So the first time I went there was in an evening, had a great time, and then went back the next day for lunch. It's that good. Had it twice in less than 24 hours. I was in a tank top and I, I wasn't allowed. So, so I ended up with a, with a free t-shirt <laughs> because I needed to have sleeves in order to sit in that restaurant. So they gave me a t-shirt. I went to give it back. No, no, you can keep that. So it was a bonus day for me. Was it a branded t-shirt? Like, did it have the, like the restaurant logo on it or something like that? You know, it may have, um, Vegas, man. And don't ask me to remember everything <laughs> from that trip, okay? Uh, but, Loren, you, you, it's a good point. Like, what when everybody does come back to work, what you know, I mean, it's, it's specifically in this environment, what's going to be expected of us, especially when you consider that we've got radio people, uh, and we're not on camera, but we're down the hall from you know, a bunch of television people who have to dress up and they have to, uh, you know, like put on their makeup uh, for the, you know, like uh, Lisa Dutton, for example, for the uh, evening news, she's uh, putting on her makeup pretty early. Uh, So I sometimes feel bad when I'm slobbing around in my, you know, beat up old jeans and a baseball cap and a hoodie. (laughs) I'm like, oh, hi, TV people. Um, So I don't, I'm hoping that I won't be expected to, uh, to pick it up a little Step bit, so up. to speak. Yeah. On the opposite end, when I used to get off air for the six o'clock news and, you know, rush to the rink to pick up the kids or something, you'd have this thick TV makeup on and maybe heels or a dress, and then you're strolling into your small town rink like, oh, where are you coming from? Like, where are you going? I'm like, nowhere. Just got a lot of evening makeup on right now, just in case. Uh, <laughs> and that in the town. Yeah. Hey, Brett, did you see this text message from another Brett? Brett says, I've been self-employed for 40 years. I worked from home long before COVID. As a business coach and corporate trainer doing lots of work by phone, I have always worn a full suit, even when working from a home office. I find it puts me in a business mindset and that I am better able to serve my clients as I look professional, sound professional, and think, act like a business professional. I, I think there might be some stricter dress codes coming on the other side of this. I don't know why I think that. I just get a sense that, you know, we've gone down this casual road for so long that Brett's approach might might be critical as we integrate, for those that do, integrate back into the office, just as you pointed out. Well, and it's a great point that, that Brett raises because I have heard that, uh, you know, dress for, or if you uh, work in a professional environment that, that that those clothes will make you feel more professional or it might put you into the appropriate mindset. I think it really boils down to what is best for your for your job. It, like I, I would feel um, sort of chained down if I had to wear a tie to work because I would I would feel restricted and we need to you know it ours is more, it's more creative and and kind of free flowing so I I prefer the, I think the casual attire for me at least I'm not going to speak for any of my colleagues but for me the casual attire allows me to be more casual on the radio um I don't know Loren what do you think if that's the case I should, <laughs> I should be saying all sorts of things based on how casually I'm dressed right now <laughs> 
<laughs> fair. That's I think fair. I'm considered the stiff one of this trio, and I am. You don't even want to see what's on top, let alone the bottom. Day, it's bad. So. <laughs> well, let us know at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. The dress code. Once we get out of this and people start going back to work, what would you like to see in your workplace, uh, regardless of the workplace environment? Uh, you know, feel free to weigh in. Like, what kind of environment do you work in? What would you like to see? What are you seeing now? And do you want to see changes as dress codes go? Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb were asking you at 204-780-6868 about a time that you were dressed inappropriately for something. Whether you were maybe overdressed or underdressed, like this guy in the UK who shows up to his own wedding in a t-shirt and jeans. Yeah, it was a designer t-shirt, but his bride was wearing a lovely dress. She just looked stunning, and he looks like he's getting ready to go out with his buddies to the pub. And um, so that got us thinking about this topic, and we want to give away some Winnipeg Renovation Show tickets for the RBC Convention Center February 18th to the 20th. So start us off with uh, Rum Hut Kevin. And uh, Rum Hut Kevin, this is one of our runners-up. The year is 1993. My girlfriend Tracy and I decided to go to Highs when it was downtown. Well, it's still downtown. I was dressed in the nines with my Chicago Bears Zubaz pants. (laughs) Zubaz, two days in a row. What could go wrong? Bears ball cap on backwards and a Bears starter jacket. Yeah, the starter jackets. When we walked in, I heard this welcoming voice at the top of the stairs. Good evening. May I take your ball cap and jacket for you, sir? (laughs) He proceeded to sit us in a booth right by the kitchen where nobody could see us. It was a great steak, though, and a great evening with Tracy. Well, Did you have the I cheese toast? It. I want to know. Did you have I can just the picture it. Toast, it's like the look of the SNL skit where the coach, the, the the Bears skit, and I can just see that flashy jacket and a ball cap on backwards. Yeah. Some places that doesn't work. Uh, Greg, what does Dave have for us as, as another runner-up? I was around 20 years old and had an appointment with the bank to get a student line of credit and need my dad there as a co-signer. Being the dumb, a yell, the dumb young adult I was, I went out drinking the night before and woke up to my dad calling saying he just got to the bank and was asking where I was. I shot out of bed, put on whatever clothes were nearby, told him I was on my way, showed up to the appointment, of course, late. I took off my jacket and sat down. My dad looks at my shirt, looks at me disappointingly and says, my shirt. I look down and see I'm wearing a funny shirt that says, you know what your problem is? You're stupid. <laughs> I was so embarrassed and apologized to the bank employee. Fortunately, he laughed and said it made his morning. The end of the meeting, I still got my line of credit, but let's just say I lost a lot of credibility with dad mm-hmm. that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, the dad look. And Dave, the way, this was a tough one. Like This was so close, but uh, we're giving it to Shell. And uh, Loren, what did Shell have for us? You're wanting stories on occasions when you were severely overdressed or underdressed. I was 21 years old, a newlywed, and my husband and I were invited to his friend's place for a pool party and barbecue. Wanting to impress, I bought a brand new bikini. We sat around the pool having drinks and chit-chatting. When it got warm, we decided to go in the pool. I dove in the deep end and swam to the shallow end, mostly underwater, stood up in the shallow end, and my husband's friend said, Nice view. You guessed it. When I dove in the water, my bikini top came off unbeknownst to me, and I was standing in front of him in all my glory. So embarrassed, I could have died. <laughs> oh, Shell, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, that's a great, embarrassing at the time, but that's a hilarious story. Congratulations, you win the tickets. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, as we've been telling you all morning, traffic is at a standstill at the Manitoba-North Dakota border. Yeah, RCMP saying that vehicles and farm equipment are blocking the Emerson port of entry and no traffic is getting through either northbound or southbound. That was the tweet from about a half hour ago. Now we're joined by Sergeant Paul Maneg of the RCMP within Manitoba. Good morning. Good morning, Lawrence. Can you tell us how many protesters and vehicles are involved here? I don't have a vehicle count as of yet, but uh, my understanding is it's quite a large group, and we've got even farm equipment uh, part of this blockade. So 
making for some interesting, uh, I guess, arrangements there on the highway. Sergeant Manig, uh, I have a simple question. I know it's not a simple answer, but at what point do these protests, these convoys, uh, when they're moving down the highway are one thing, at what point do these uh, protests become blockades and at which point do they become illegal? Well, on the enforcement side of that, the illegal portion kind of comes into effect when it's blocking access, for example, for emergency vehicles or something where an emergency situation develops and you have to get services in there regarding fire, ambulance, police. Uh, then at that point, uh, we, we can act very clearly under the Highway Traffic Act, even if the criminal code, if the situation were to warrant where you need to have someone get out of the way and they're not abiding by a, a lawful order. And what about blocking critical infrastructure like Highway 75? It's an international highway. It's a major trade corridor. Is there any change based on the status of, of that highway? Does it, does it take a higher precedence in, in terms of the legalities? And I, I'm not, I'm once again, not asking you to, to outline what, what actions you might take, but is this illegal for these vehicles to be parked to, to abreast on this highway stopped going nowhere well if you go or by definition under the highway traffic act you could make a case for it uh, but is it handing out a ticket to a trucker going to solve your situation and my answer to that's going to be no because uh, handing out 50 tickets doesn't solve your problem so that's like I say we're going to have to open up a dialogue here to explain our situation uh, on the policing side of it we need to understand theirs and then hopefully we can reach some common ground. Uh, they want to make a statement. We have the right to let them make that statement. But at some point, like I say, that discussion needs to lead to some progress at some point. We're hearing uh, some of these vehicles might just be empty right now. If the vehicles aren't occupied, do you can can you tow them? Well, certainly that's always an, an option that you can use. But again, like I say, it's no different than a ticket. You tow one semi, uh, which the logistics are quite extensive when you're towing such a large vehicle, but then there's there's another one taking its place. Um, you're only inflaming the situation. So like I say, that's what it comes down to is the dialogue between us and the organizer and trying to understand what they want. They need to know where we're coming from and then build from there. We're seeing some pictures in just now. This is coming from one of our photographers that's down there, Sergeant Maneg, so you might not have the answer to this, but he's seeing what he thinks might be trucks slowly moving, some trucks going through. So is it still at a standstill as you know it? Is there some opening or some people being let through? Has anything changed within the last few minutes? Nothing that's coming across my desk, but I'm kind of hoping that those that aren't part of the blockade are allowed to you know, do their jobs. And these guys don't want to be stuck in, uh, especially these types of weather conditions today. They want to be moving. They've got goods to deliver. So I'm hoping the organizers of this protest are cognizant of that fact that these people need to work and they're not helping themselves if they're preventing some of their other truckers uh, from working. You mentioned dialogue with the organizers that that's happening. So what does that look like, Sergeant Manegre? Is it a you know, a negotiator that goes in how does this happen and is there one person that's being spoken to or is it a group of people well that's key is the open dialogue is the most important thing you, you we've seen time and time again it's you can usually negotiate a peaceful solution so yeah we'll have some um rcmp officers that kind of are trained in negotiating and like I said their job is to just to get the communication started and just like I say, to explain both sides and then go from there and then try and see, you know, if they can provide us a time frame as to what they're planning. And like I say, we have to reinforce, like I say, our concerns and hopefully, like I say, it leads to solutions. RCMP Sergeant Paul Maneg joining us live on 680 CJOB. Sergeant, thank you very much. We appreciate this, sir. Thank you. I don't really know what else to say than that, that that we have to wait for a dialogue. I, you know, look, I get it. I, I get that these protesters are angry and they, they want to get their message out and they feel like they haven't been heard for two years and completely understand that. And I respect the right to, to protest, but to take uh, Highway 75 sort of hostage 
like this um, and block people from doing their jobs and getting their goods through and having to sit for hours on end. You know, we've people telling us they've been sitting there for six to seven hours. Um, I'm uh, frustrated. GMAC, I know you I can't are. Imagine, I can't imagine being uh, caught in that lineup. You know, we've heard the conversation about how, what percentage of, of truckers are vaccinated, trying to do their work. They're paying an ultimate price here at these borders. It's affecting their ability to earn a living. That's affecting their, uh, their logs, uh, the amount of time that they can be on the road. And, uh, you know, I was under the impression when this started that this convoy was in solidarity with truckers. And what is happening now is that it's truckers to a great extent who are paying a disproportionate price for these demonstrations, for these protests, for these blockades. And I understand that there's a lot of frustration about the trucker mandate to begin with. And we've discussed for weeks that, you know, with different supply chain experts and transportation experts that even we weren't sure that it made sense to apply this to truckers, but it was happening and it's happening on the other side of the border as well. I appreciate the people that don't think that makes sense. And we even said, I don't know if that makes sense to, to put this on truckers. And of course, it's extended now to mandates in general and the desire for people to eliminate mandates altogether, which is happening in some of some jurisdictions. I understand all that. But if this started with being about truckers and for truckers, which is what the initial messages to us were, I'm not sure where it sits now. We we had a trucker text us, and I just want people to think about this. You know, he's on the road right now. He's stuck on Highway 75. He wants to get through. He started at three in the morning. He's still stuck there. doesn't know if he's, he's even going to get home tonight. Just has a job that he wants to do and had me- messaged us to say that he worries about being painted with the brush on both sides, that truckers who are part of this protest or people who are part of this protest will look at him and be mad that he's not standing in solidarity with them. And then on the other hand, he's worried that there are people that are going to look at him and say, oh, well, you're in a truck. You must be one of those truckers and, and you know, be painted with that brush. And he's caught in this rock in a hard place on the highway just to try, just trying to deliver his goods, which we know is the hardest, one of the hardest jobs at the best of times. And so that, that feeling that people like him and others must be having today uh, can only just be exacerbated when you're sitting in the cold in this weather wondering what's next. You can weigh in at 204-780-6868 and you can email Mackling at CJOB.com, McNabb at CJOB.com or Brett at CJOB.com. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.